0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, startup founders, and tech people who are sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In this episode, we're making the case that online advertising, at least the traditional, the model of online advertising as of today, is broken. And that traditional advertising is actually more effective. My guest is Bob Hoffman. He's an ad contrarian, as he called himself. He's the author of the popular blog Ad Contrarian. And he was named one of the world's most influential marketing and advertising blogger by Business Insider. He's been the CEO of two independent agencies. Um, he's created advertising for, for McDonald's, Toyota, PepsiCo, Bank of America, AT&T, and many more companies. So he's probably one of the best person to talk about advertising and the difference between online advertising and, in, and traditional advertising. And he's really making a good case about why the model of online advertising as of today is broken, what you should know as a marketer or somebody who wants to use marketing in your day to day, what is important for you to know and why traditional advertising is not dead just yet. So this episode is incredibly insightful. Uh, It will definitely challenge your thinking and the way you're thinking. It definitely did change my way uh, of thinking on certain stuff. So have a listen and let me know what you think. Bob, I have a question for you. And before that, I I must say I'm a little bit confused. Um, I'm confused because I interviewed Seth Godin recently. And Seth told me, you know, advertising is dead. You know, nobody buys from advertising anymore. You you, you need to do a different type of marketing. And yet yeah. I know for a fact that, you know, we are exposed. I mean, American people are exposed to between 4,000 and 10,000 ads a day. Yeah. Uh, so if it was really dead, why are all of those companies still advertising?
1: Uh, it's clearly not dead. That's just marketing, expert baloney that people are always saying. I mean, look at Apple, uh, look at McDonald's, look at Coca-Cola. They have to advertise. It's important. Uh, advertising is not dead. It's a lot of baloney. As a matter of fact, adver- t- if, if our economies were growing at the same rate as advertising expenditures, we'd be dancing in the streets.
0: And Why do companies have to advertise then?
1: Because, because it works, because that's how people find out about brands is through advertising. Mm -hmm.
0: But yet, let's talk about advertising in general. So what I mean advertising is like the so-called traditional advertising and then the online digital advertising. So I would put them in the same bucket for the, for the sake of this argument. So it works. Companies are still using it, obviously, because it works. And that's how people hear about brands. But yet, when I see, you know, online banner ads are clicked less than one thousand time, you know, once every one thousand times. Yeah. Um, that kind of contradicts it, no?
1: Yeah, well, there are all kinds of advertising. Some of it is effective and some of it is not effective. Some of it is good for one thing. Some of it is good for another thing. My opinion is that traditional advertising is good for creating demand. Online advertising, particularly search, is, is good for fulfilling demand. So we, we thought when the online advertising industry began, We thought that online advertising would be like traditional advertising, would be like television, radio, and outdoor and print, and that it would be good at creating demand. But what we have found is, at least in my opinion, it hasn't been. And if you walk through the largest supermarket in your neighborhood, and if you walk through the largest big box store and the largest department store, and you look for brands that have been created by online advertising, I think you will find none. At least I can't find any. Now, there are some uh, online endemic, you know, web endemic brands that have been created to a large extent by online advertising, but most of the brands in the world don't live online. They live in stores, and you have a very hard time walking through stores and finding any brands that have been built by online advertising. On the other hand, Online advertising is pretty good at fulfilling demand if you you know when you've decided you want to travel to Hawaii, what do you do? You go online and you look for the lowest price and you look for the good hotels and good airlines so um that's out now this is a very generalized point of view, but in general, traditional advertising I think is good at creating demand. Online advertising is good at fulfilling demand
0: so how do companies measure the effectiveness of like the, this this traditional advertising because it's 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 traditionally difficult to measure right so how do they know yes. if it's successful
1: it you know traditional advertising is half science and half religion uh you you believe it or you don't, and that's the religion part of it. The science part of it is If you're a retailer, you know what kind of sales you're getting, and you can't attribute every sale to every ad, but you know in general how your advertising is doing. An example is in in my agency, we used to handle McDonald's uh, in in certain regions, and we had a terminal in our office that told us how sales were going on an hour-by-hour basis, and we knew what media we had on the air at the time so we had a pretty good idea of what was effective and what was not effective and and we we would check our results daily and weekly and monthly and we knew to a large degree what advertising was effective and what was not effective and we knew it in the car business also now we didn't have you know click data for every click that happened like you do with online advertising But in a general sense, we knew what was effective and what was not effective.
0: So I I love this idea because I think one of the reasons why digital marketers are so kind of against traditional advertising is because they cannot uh, tell you that each customer costs $4.03 to acquire thanks to TV ads, right? It's incredibly difficult to measure.
1: Yeah. And yet we were able to do that. We knew the cost of uh, we knew the what it cost us in media to acquire. We used to handle uh, some work for Toyota and we knew about what the cost of marketing per sale was. So we had an approximate idea, but it's not as directly attributable as online advertising claims to be. The problem is so much of what of what our clicks and so much of what are uh, deemed traffic are fraudulent and people think they know what it costs and, and they think they know um, what the results are. And they really don't because there's so much fraud.
0: So what what's just to explain to the listeners here what's going on is that more than half, actually 54% of displayed ads never appear in front of a live human being, right? right because right. most more than half of the traffic is actually bots and non-human
1: traffic. Well, the the viewability issue is a different one from the fraud issue. So, um what happens is about ha- 54% of ads are not seen by consumers because they appear either below the fold, in other words, outside the range of the screen, or they are, um, or they don't load in time. Someone leaves the page before the ad loads, and then there's the fraud problem where where publishers are stacking pixels in the in, in the ad frame. They're stacking hundreds or thousands of pixels, which are are calculated as ad views, but really aren't. Then there is the fraud issue, where there are bots going to websites pretending to be viewers. There are bots clicking on ads pretending to be human beings. And there are fake websites where advertising is being sent. And nobody can see them because they're not real websites, but the programmatic systems, the algorithms, think they are websites. So there's all kinds of um, viewability and fraud issues with online advertising.
0: Wow. So this is quite bad, which means for regular advertisers spending a small amount of money online, what you're saying is really that the costs, what you're thinking you're paying per click, is actually much higher.
1: Maybe much higher. Now, there are not everything is fraud there are some legitimate online advertising sites and 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 uh networks but you never know because of the programmatic systems because of the algorithms you never know where your ads are running if you're buying programmatically that's why we have this problem with uh with brand reputation we have Uh, The brand safety problem where where ads are running on jihadist websites, on Nazi websites, on pornographic websites, and the advertisers can't control it because the algorithms buy ads on the cheapest websites they can find. And the cheap websites are often either non-existent, either they're fraudulent or they're terrible websites where no one wants to be.
0: So, Bob, in the next few minutes, I, I'm going to challenge you a bit with, with a, uh, with a role play type of question by, by, okay. ask, by asking you how you would, uh, actually adver- advertise for a specific company. Uh, but before that, yeah. I just like to dig into the, what you like and love to talk about the most, which is the marketing bullshit, advertising bullshit yeah. and what's wrong <laughs> with the industry. Right. Um, yes. so what so-called best practices in advertising you think are plain wrong?
1: Okay, um, let's, let's start at the beginning and talk about what's going wrong, particularly with online advertising, because I think that's where most of the problems are now. First of all, the public is so disgusted with online advertising that we have 600 million web-enabled devices that are armed with ad blockers now. This is unbelievable. 600 million devices with ad blockers on them. We know that ad fraud is out of control. Uh, If you want to make a lot of money, get into the ad fraud business. Um, Hewlett Packard has a chart that's amazing that shows that ad fraud has the highest return of any online criminal activity and essentially no one is ever prosecuted for it. It's literally a license to steal money. Um, let me give you an example. There was an there was a new ad fraud called Fireball that was discovered in June. And it had infected 250 million computers and 20% of all corporate computer networks worldwide. This this fraud, this fireball, was capable of producing 30 billion, with a B, fraudulent ad impressions a minute. Now, if you told me they produced 30 billion fraudulent impressions a year, I would be shocked. But a minute, it's beyond belief. Um, The World Federation of Advertisers says that within eight years, ad fraud could be the second largest source of criminal income in the world after drug trafficking. Um, we discussed the problem of viewability that that uh, less than half of all online ads are viewable. Interactivity has turned out to be a fantasy. Uh, for many years, online advertising was called interactive advertising until it became clear that no one was interacting with it. And then suddenly the term "interactive" disappeared, and it was now it's called display advertising. But interaction with online ads is now reported to be about five clicks per ten thousand ads. You can't get much closer to zero than that. Wow. Um, the The idea that the same consumer who was clicking her remote on her TV to escape from ads, was going to click her mouse to interact with them, is going to go down as one of the great marketing fantasies of all time. Um, Here's another problem. Facebook and Google are getting 77% of all online ad dollars in the U.S., just two websites, and there are billions of websites, and just two of them are getting seventy seven percent of all the of all the uh, ad dollars in the u s and they have become an arrogant duopoly they have refused to abide by long established standards of measurement and auditing they they fill us particularly Facebook fills us. With preposterous metrics, and and the metrics are so absurd that they're laughable. Um, I I don't know if you saw the the recent articles about Facebook's metrics. They claim that they can reach forty-one million Americans between the ages of eighteen and twenty-nine. Well, there are only thirty-one million Americans of that age who exist, (laughs) and yet and yet they keep foisting these preposterous metrics on us and credulous advertisers believe them. Um, The the next bullshit thing is about the effectiveness of online advertising. Um, Procter & Gamble, who are the world's largest advertiser, uh, recently Canceled over a hundred million dollars in the in the, I think it was the third quarter of 20 or the second quarter of 2017. They they cut over a hundred million dollars of online advertising from their quarterly spending, and their sales grew two percent. According to the Wall Street Journal, here's a quote: the, the online ad cuts, quote, had little impact on Procter & Gamble's business, proving that those digital ads were largely ineffective, unquote. Um, The waste in online advertising is horrific. According to the Guardian newspaper in in, uh, the UK, and confirmed by the World Federation of Advertisers, between 40 and 70% of online advertising dollars are scraped by middlemen. And and Mark Pritchard, who is the uh, chief brand officer for Procter & Gamble, says that only 25 cents of every dollar he spends on online advertising ever gets to the consumer. 75% of it is scraped away by middlemen. Um, Another problem, quality publishers are struggling to exist. While the crappiest online sites get get money that should be theirs, um, and this is because of what what's called data leakage w- What happens is quality websites let's say the New York Times website an advertiser advertises on New york Times website, and he gets he, he, he tracks me. If I go to the New York Times website, he drops a cookie on me and he follows me to BikiniBeachBabes.com website. And instead of paying a dollar to reach me on the New York Times website next time, he'll pay a nickel to reach me on the Bikini Beach Babes website.
0: Bob, and you shouldn't go to Bikini uh, Beach Babe <laughs> website. I told you before. I-
1: I just do it for research purposes to see (laughs) to see who's advertising there, you know. (laughs) Uh, But um, but that's called data leakage. And what it does is it takes the money that should be going to high quality websites and delivers that advertising dollar to the crappiest websites. And that's the problem with programmatic buying and with ad tech. The promise of programmatic buying is we will find you the highest quality eyeballs at the lowest price websites. In other words, the highest quality eyeballs at the shittiest possible locations.
0: So let's talk and- about shitty websites a little bit just to, to yeah. illustrate your point, because yeah. one example would be those websites that tell you, oh, this recipe from my grandma, uh, yeah. you know, uh, helped my back so much. You won't believe you know that it only takes two ingredients. Click here to find out those two ingredients. So basically, right. you go on this shitty website. You're being fed 50 ads on one page. To find out the answer, you have to click 50, 60 times. So it serves you a new page for 50, 50, 50
1: times. It that's serves exactly you those right. shitty ads, right? Right. That's exactly right. And that's why, that's why the public is so fed up with online advertising. That's why 600 million. Web connected devices have ad blockers on it, and it, it's harming the advertising industry. It's harming quality publishers, it's harming the public it, and and it is uh, it needs to be stopped and and that's what um, one of the points of my new book is that the the current model of advertising needs to be changed. We need to develop a model of online advertising that allows people to enjoy the benefits of the web without being afraid and disgusted by the nature of online advertising. That's what we need to do. Right now, advertising is necessary to support most of the things we like about the web. But the nature of the kind of advertising we're doing and the kind of tracking we're doing and spying we're doing on consumers is so obnoxious that people are blocking all the ad- are are blocking more and more of the advertising that really supports the things we like about the web.
0: So what's your
1: proposed model? The model should be that we buy online advertising the same way we buy traditional advertising, and that is based on the reputation of the publisher so that I buy my my online advertising directly from The New York Times, directly from The Washington Post, directly from people who I trust and who have a good reputation rather than buying crappy programmatically driven ad tech based advertising that is based on 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 spying on people getting all kinds of information that we should not have that should be that should remain private and following them around the web annoying them with quote precision targeted advertising
0: <laughs> yeah Yeah. So that that would be an ideal scenario, wouldn't it? And how do you think we could convince people who take the decisions, you know, to to move from this model to this model?
1: It's going to be up to consumers and regulators to do that because they will never of their own. Remember, the two most powerful groups in the world when it comes to online advertising are Google and Facebook. They make billions of dollars a year based on tracking people and having information about people that they can sell to their advertising clients. They will never give that up without an enormous fight. And an enormous fight is about to break out in the European Union, in the EU, because the EU has two regulations that are scheduled to go into effect in May, one called the GDPR and one called the e-privacy regulation. And um, these are very complicated, but in, in you know the, the short general version, what they will do is not allow online media, online publishers, online advertisers to collect private personal information about individuals without that individual's prior consent. That's going to change the nature of how online advertising is done if it is adopted. Now, it has not yet been fully adopted, and Google and Facebook and others are going to fight like hell to block it. They're going to lobby the European Parliament like crazy to block these regulations. But if the regulators have any, may I say balls on the, on your podcast? Please do. If, <laughs> if they have any balls, they'll stand up to these people and they'll say that the individual rights, the privacy rights of people, and the security rights of, of people are more important than the convenience of marketers. And I am hopeful that these regulations will go into effect. And if they are successful, they will be adopted by other uh, countries um, and, and become kind of a universal rule that that personal private information about us cannot be collected, distributed, sold without our permission.
0: That's a that's a nice future uh to prepare for and I'm hopeful yeah. that it will make changes a big dance to to the online world. Uh it's a good thing as well I think that in Europe you are not allowed to lobby directly uh, uh politicians, right? In the US companies can yeah. Yes. Publicly give you two hundred thousand, you know, dollars right. a, a, a right. year just to support a specific right. cause. This isn't the case in Europe, and I hope right. that this will be a big difference. However,
1: uh, yeah. However, uh, the, the the lobbying has already started in Europe. The uh, a, a coalition of advertisers and and me, online media and online publishers have wrote a letter last week. To the European Parliament members telling them why the privacy regulations are such a bad thing, it's all bullshit. and if you read my um, if you read my post on my blog today, uh, you will see why I thought it was bullshit. Uh, why I say it's bullshit. nonetheless, there's going to be a massive effort. They may not be able to give them direct money. But there's going to be a massive effort to kill these regulations.
0: So, please, listeners, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you can go to uh, to Bob's blog post uh, on the from the 17th of October, 2017. Um, yes, right, Bob. I want to move on to this bleak kind of situation and challenge yes. you with something, right? Okay. Yeah. So let's imagine we have a tech company. So we are selling an online software to do something I don't really know what maybe you will need to pick up an idea so that we can work on it a little bit better but just <laughs> f- for now just the software yeah. right and I challenge so, you in this podcast we usually talk a lot about tech online world digital stuff but yeah. you know you are an ad person you know you are a traditional you know ads right. advertising expert and I'd like to know what if I challenge you I give you let's say one hundred thousand dollars or yeah. no actually let me scrap that. Yeah. I give you $10,000. I give you less Ten than thousand. that. Yes, yeah. only. And I want yeah. you to, to, gi- to give me your best bet and use this budget in traditional advertising uh, as best as you can to get new customers. Like if I hire you as our CMO or head of advertising, where yeah. would you spend this money to sell software?
1: I would quit if I were your CMO with a $10,000 budget. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't take the job. No, it de- look, it depends on who you're trying what your software does, who you're trying to reach and um and how how large your market is. I mean that that's a it, it's like asking me how much does it cost to build a house. Okay.
0: Let me rephrase. Let let me give you more details, right? Let's imagine it's, we are selling to medium-sized businesses yes. in the U.S. mainly, and medium-sized businesses that are accounting firms, right? They do accounting for their clients. Okay. Uh, is that enough of a target, or do you want to go deeper? Sure.
1: No, that's fine. So, so my target is um, the IT lead at an accounting firm, essentially. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Or the CEO or the CFO of an accounting firm who, who might be, um, might make that kind of decision or might influence the IT lead to make that decision. Right. I, I would take, if I only had $10,000, I would go to the biggest conference. I would go to the, um, the accounting, you know, the American Counting Associations uh, conference, and I would um, have a, I would sponsor a seminar, and I would have uh, it, I would have, uh, I, I would do a talk about it, and I would create some, um, I, I would avoid advertising. $10,000 isn't enough in advertising to reach anyone that's going to make a difference okay
0: so let, let's change this the the challenge a little bit i yeah. i know it's i know it's tough so let's yeah. let's say we have a little bit more money we have one hundred thousand okay. dollars. would that be okay. better yes. and instead of b2b we yeah. are in a b2c market and perhaps we are selling a software that helps you build your cv online
1: okay um boy, you know, I'm not, I'm a copywriter. I'm not a media strategist. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. I would, you know, I would take it to my media department if I was an agency and tell them and tell them to give me a good answer. That That's not what I do. I'm not a media strategist. I'm a copywriter who, um, who is an observer and I'm not really qualified to make media recommendations. <laughs> That's, okay. That's how I'm going to weasel my way out of that. Question.
0: I, I appreciate the honesty. So now yeah. let me rephrase yeah. so that you can answer yeah. in, in a, in a more uh, effective way so you can help yeah. listeners. What would be your most successful advertising project you've been involved with? Like the one that you're the proudest of, not because it's oh. maybe uh-huh. the most cost effective, but yeah. maybe because it's the boldest, the, the more original one.
1: Yeah, I've had a couple that uh, were very successful. Um, uh, One was here in California for Toyota. Uh, We started working with Toyota. They were the number four car brand in the uh, region. And when we, uh, after several years, we became the number one car brand in the region um, doing very successful as a matter of fact, at one point, we had a twenty five percent share of market, which was astounding um, and i 've had a number of successes with mcdonald 's as well that uh, we introduced some new products that were that were done very successfully uh,
0: You need to tell me how you you did this with Toyota. Can you give in more details how did you what did yeah, you do it was
1: it was mostly television um, it was uh, a combination of television, radio, out and outdoor, but primarily television. And we, um, it was a combination of brand-building style advertising and um, what what we call activation-style advertising or price-item advertising. And and we, it was not 100% of either it was um it was a it was a mix that we came up with that turned out to be successful for this particular brand and for this for these particular products now in every category the mix of style of advertising is going to be different because some categories respond well to price item advertising for example the fast food industry and some respond very well to brand style advertising for example the financial industries so in each in each category in each industry you're going to have a different mix of styles of advertising and that's what good media people and good strategy people can help you decide in your category what is the best mix of brand versus activation
0: okay Uh and so Bob, thanks for going through this exercise. I know it's not easy yeah. <laughs> to be put on the spot like this because to yeah. be clear to listeners, I didn't send you questions in advance no. No. and I don't like to do it um, because it's much easier to have a conversation when, when this yeah. happens. So yeah. you've been named as one of the most provocative man in advertising. I think we got a yeah. good sample of that. What surprised me as well is that you used to be a science teacher. <laughs> yes. That went I on did. to spend on yeah. like one year as the assistant of the California Science Institute. Is that it?
1: The yeah, California Academy of I, Science. In, in, was, in, yeah.
0: Excuse me. California Academy of
1: Science. So, yeah, you... I was I was an assistant to the executive director there for a year. And my my science background, and I, I don't really have a science background. I was a science teacher, but I never really knew anything about science. Uh, I was a terrible teacher and... Uh, That's one of the reasons I left the the teaching profession, because I really wasn't very good. But being around scientists and being around the scientific method made me skeptical of a lot of what I heard when I got into the advertising business, because what I noticed was we thought we knew a lot of things, but we didn't really have the facts. What we had was the opinions and assertions of, quote, experts masquerading as facts. And so consequently, I became very skeptical of what I saw and what I heard. And I didn't believe anything that could not be supported by facts. And I still don't. And one one of the remarkable things to me about what's happened in recent years in the agency business is that we have lost our skepticism. The agency business used to be one of the most skeptic. The agency people were very skeptical. You told them something, they'd say, oh, yeah, prove it. Uh, show me. Let me see. And all of a sudden, the online industry came riding into town with a lot of pseudo-techno baloney, and the agency business and the marketing industry just bought into it. Without skepticism, and now we're seeing the results of that. There's so much that is going wrong, and we're we're just we're we're just starting to learn about it. All the problems of uh of, of it being opaque and non-transparent, all the problems of um, kickbacks and rebates. Uh, these are things that have been going on for a long time. I wrote about them years ago, all the problems of brand safety. I wrote about years ago, and nobody cared until recently, until the last year or so. And it's been remarkable to me how we have suspended our skepticism about what we've been told by the online advertising industry and the online media industry.
0: So, Bob, you also wrote quite a lot of, Books, uh, the most recent one is Bad Men, How Advertising Went From a Minor Annoyance to a Major Menace. You also yes. wrote Marketers Are From Mars, Consumers Are From New Jersey, and 101 contrarian ideas about advertising. Um, yeah. and as you mentioned a few times, you're also the author of the popular ad contrarian blog, uh, yes. which is what named one of the most world, one of the world's most influential marketing, influence, yeah, influential marketing and advertising blogs by, yeah. Business Insider. And before that, you also had uh, two independent agencies. Um, yes. And you work with McDonald's and Toyota and PepsiCo and Bank of America and AT&T and all of that. So yes, hear me out, Bob, uh, something okay. that surprised me a little bit from you, I have to say, and, and it's a little bit yeah. contradictory. Yeah. So you're very, you're a contrarian person, a little bit like yeah. me, you're a skeptic. Yeah, You care, you definitely care. You give a shit about the cause that you fight for and you, you like to fight certain battles. Yep. What surprised me the most when I read more about you and your profile is that you accepted to create ads for products that are more than average, should I say, quite bad for people's health. I'm going to mention McDonald's yeah. as an example. So why did you accept to create ads for them? What was the thinking behind it?
1: I am not a moralist in the sense that I'm going to decide for people what they should eat and what they should uh, do with their lives. Um, I th- that's, that's not my job. Uh, as a person who worked in the advertising business, uh, th- there were some things I wouldn't do. I didn't do advertising to children. I, I, I felt bad about that. I didn't do cigarette advertising, um, which was clearly uh, detrimental. But, you know, in, in the world, there's a lot of gray area. And um, if you're going to be in the advertising business, uh, you have to suspend some of your personal beliefs sometimes to do what's best for people who are your clients. And um, I, I agree with you that there are some negative aspects to working with some of the clients I work with. And they and they weren't all pure uh and wholesome. And uh I you know I accept responsibility for that but I also you know, I had people on my staff who had families and houses, and um, i you can get up on your high moralistic horse. I could do that and say, you know what, I'm not going to advertise uh, for McDonald's anymore because they sell Coca-Cola and it has too much sugar in it. It's not healthy for us, and I can get up on my ho- high horse and and resigned from the McDonald's account and I'm not going to lose a job, but 25 people in my agency are going to lose jobs and their families are not going to have revenue and they're not going to be able to pay the mortgage on their house or the payments on their cars. So you have to balance your own particular uh, morality with your responsibility to people who work in your company and uh, it's not an easy balance. It's not easy to do. There, are, there there were many times when I wanted to resign a client because uh, I felt they were either abusive or I didn't like them personally. And uh, I didn't because it wasn't going to harm me. It was going to harm other people. And uh, it, these are very difficult decisions to make. I don't think pe- people who work in the agency business really understand how burdensome these decisions can be in an independent agency where you're you know you're struggling to to stay afloat every day of the year you're you're not backed up by WPP or Omnicom you're on your own every day and you have people who rely on you for their livelihoods and it's a it it's a burdensome, you know, it's a burden. And uh I never took it lightly. And uh, you know, maybe I made some some uh decisions on on ethics that were not completely wholesome, but I did what I thought was the best to do under the circumstances.
0: Right, Bob, I appreciate your honest answer. I I like to tickle my guests yeah. a little bit with some some questions. Uh, that's
1: okay. No, you I, know what? I like to be I, I like people asking me hard questions because it makes me think about what I do and what I've done and whether I've been right or wrong. Um, yeah. I, I,
0: I maybe you could come up with a story from your childhood or adult yeah. life or whatever it is. But do you think you have a story that summarizes? why you are the way you are, why you like to, to take this contrarian approach to things and this skeptic approach?
1: Yes. Uh, it's, it, it was part of my upbringing. I was, I was brought up in New York city and I lived in what is called a project, which, um, which is a housing development and my family, all my aunts and uncles and cousins, we all lived like on the same block. And these were the most challenging. They were very smart people and very challenging. And, um, and we would sit, you know, Sunday afternoons, very often with the whole family would get together and we would sit there. And if you dared to say anything that was in the least bit pompous or self-serving or um self-important you would get cut down so fast and and they didn't even have to say anything they just look at you and you knew uh-oh I just sounded like a real asshole and and that kind of um Cutting through the bullshit was was drummed into me at a very early age, and I became very sensitive to it and I think that has stayed with me, and I am uh, as a result I am very skeptical i 've always had a rebellious streak in me you know if people now were saying that the online advertising is horrible it's the worst thing in the world I'd be saying it's the greatest thing in the world (laughs) that's just the way I am I have I I have a rebellious um, streak in me that uh, that uh, somehow I've never been able to extinguish Uh, sometimes I've had to tamp it down because you can't always When you're running an ad agency, as I was saying before, you can't always say what's really on your mind, particularly to clients. Um, Clients want to believe certain things, and it's very hard to dissuade them from their beliefs sometimes. But I, I think that that is what, you know, if you're asking me how I got to be the way I am, that's probably how I got to be how I am.
0: That's great. That's a great story. And thanks for sharing this as well. Um, What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or 50 years?
1: Uh, What they need to learn is, number one, to question everything. Don't accept anything anyone tells you at face value without confirming it. Uh, we have become too gullible. Number two circumstances change, technology changes, gadgets change, but people stay the same and What motivates people is what has always motivated people, and that is people want to feel good and If your product helps people feel good, and you can explain that in a way that is interesting, you will do well. And the third thing marketers have to learn is that creativity is extremely important in marketing. That data may be interesting and it may be useful, but creativity is what drives consumer demand. People react emotionally, to advertising and marketing. And that is never going to go away. And that and that we have undervalued for the past 10 years or so, we have undervalued creativity in the advertising and marketing world. And we need to get it back to its proper position in our industry.
0: What are the top three resources you would recommend marketers in particular that could be a book, a blog, a webinar, a seminar, whatever?
1: Mm-hmm. I would uh, I would read the work of Dave Trott. I would read the work of Doc Searles. And I would listen to Rory Sutherland's what he says and what he writes. Those would be, I think, my, my top three three. Um, do you know who those guys are? Should I, should I give you some more information on them? Yeah, briefly. The the first one, yeah, all all of them briefly for the listeners. Dave Trott is a creative, uh, former creative brilliant guy, um, in the UK lives in London. Uh, Rory Sutherland is I think vice chairman of Ogilvy and Mather in the UK. And um, Doc Searles is a brilliant guy who is um, very interested in the problems of tracking and surveillance marketing and ad tech. And um, he wrote uh, the he was one of the writers of the Clue Train Manifesto. And he also wrote the Attention Economy. So those are three people who I would um if I wanted to get a sense of what's real and what's important in, in marketing and advertising, those are the three people I would pay attention to.
0: Thank you. Uh, thanks yep. for playing the game today. This interview, I know I, I didn't ask you just easy questions, but this is the point of this podcast. Um, last question yeah. for you, Bob. Yes. Where can listeners connect with you, learn more from you, contact you?
1: Okay. Um, my blog is called The Ad Contrarian, and you can find it at adcontrarian.com. My uh, newsletter is written every Sunday morning, uh, almost every Sunday morning. And you can uh, subscribe to my newsletter at one of two places, either at the Ad Con- on the Ad Contrarian blog page or on my website, which is Bob Hoffman's it's called Bob Hoffman's website.com. And you can also uh, read my new book, which is called Bad Men How Advertising Went From a Minor Annoyance to a Major Menace. And it's about the um, dangers of online tracking and surveillance marketing and ad tech, how it's dangerous to the public, how it's dangerous to us as individuals and how it's dangerous to the ad industry.
0: Well, Bob, once again, you've been brilliant. Anything you want to add before we stop this episode?
1: No, I just want everyone in marketing to calm down and relax and enjoy it a little. Everyone's so fucking serious these days. Jesus, enjoy what you're doing. Have fun with it. It's important.
0: All right. Perfect way to end it. Bob, (laughs) once again, thank you so much. Thank you. so thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com. Thank you so much